Good evening and welcome to Community Online. I am so glad you are joining us for this very special Good Friday service. You know, tonight as we gather in living rooms across Chicagoland, the United States, and places all over the world, we remember the darkness of this day. In some ways, the darkness we experience in our own world is not unlike what people experienced on that first Good Friday. There's the darkness of violence and war, the darkness of hatred and division, the darkness of anxiety, loneliness, and despair. I mean, so much of our world feels dark, doesn't it? So much on that first Good Friday was dark. But even as we take some moments to sit, reflect, and lament about the cruelty of this day, let's not forget that Easter is coming. In fact, without this day, we would have no reason to hope. If you need a reminder of that hope tonight, I want you to know that our prayer teams are available to pray with you right now during this service. You can connect with them by texting PRAY to 331-226-1686 or by clicking the prayer button. We would love to pray with you. I also want to encourage you to find hope by joining us for our Easter service this Sunday right here at communityonline.tv. We have three service times for you to choose from. And if you happen to be in the Chicagoland area, you can also join us in person on Easter at one of our eight locations. Scan the QR code on the screen or visit communitychristian.info for service times and a location that is nearest to you. You know, now maybe more than ever, we need to be reminded of the hope we have in Jesus. Later on, we're going to receive communion together as a reminder of that hope. So I encourage you to find something to eat and something to drink so that you can participate with us. But first, I invite you to slow down, breathe deeply, and imagine what it might have been like to have been there, to have been an eyewitness to the scene as it unfolded on that day so many years ago. 2,000 Good Fridays have passed since that day, and it's hard not to feel the distance. It's as if we're mere bystanders, watching from worlds away, viewing Jesus from the furthest reaches, our eyes straining to take in the details, straining to feel the impact, straining to be moved. But what if we allow ourselves to be drawn from the fringes as we look through the eyes of those who actually witnessed the events of that dreadful night? What would it have felt like to watch this unfold? On this Good Friday, let's ask for fresh eyes, eyes that gaze at him not for the thousandth time, but see him as if for the first time, to imagine what it might have been like to be there. This is how the story goes. Now the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. Judas, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Just as he was speaking, Judas appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then everyone deserted him and fled. 
They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself at the fire, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know this man you are talking about. The servant girl. She was no ordinary servant, but a servant of the high priest. You have to wonder what she saw. No doubt she had a sharp eye and a knack for remembering faces. Maybe she got to witness some of Jesus' teachings and miracles. She certainly wouldn't forget that face. Can you imagine? It frustrated her to watch her master sit idly by as temple worship fell into disgrace. She never forgot the scene that Jesus made in the temple courts. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? He flipped the tables and scattered their coins. There was something about his courage and conviction that drew her. He even claimed that he could rebuild the temple in three days. What could he possibly mean by that? It took everything in her not to abandon her responsibilities to follow him that very day. She had a front row seat to the fury of her master when Jesus healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. The man sat there destitute for 38 years, and all Jesus had to say was, get up and walk. The whole city buzzed with every miraculous step. She couldn't help but get caught up in the delight of it. Who had ever heard of such a thing? No one ever did the things Jesus could do. But now, here he is, disgraced. Even his closest followers deny him. The glow of the fire gave Peter space away. She recognized him at once and persisted, but he denied it and ran away. How can he hide in the shadows, she wonders. How can he not fight for his friend? The servant girl was just an observer, but now she's part of the story. She's been drawn from the edges and into the fray, and there she stands, bewildered and confused. Imagine seeing Jesus through her eyes. He was exalted, but now is abandoned. Who is this man? Could all of this have been a lie? Was all of his goodness for nothing? What now? The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, Prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. Again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? 
See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Barabbas, he was an enemy of Rome. And as a Jewish man, he loathed their occupation of his homeland. There was nothing he wouldn't do to make it right. He fancied himself as a sort of giant slayer. Except this time, Goliath didn't fall. Instead, Barabbas found himself in prison. And after leading a bloody uprising, he was captured and condemned, and the price of justice was clear. His time was running short. Death was inevitable. And no one brought death more efficiently than Rome. They had made a science of execution, and all of their expertise would soon come to bear on Barabbas. So he waited in his musty, dark cell. But a commotion outside the prison walls broke the heavy stillness. He could hear them yelling, crucify, crucify, crucify. There was little hope for him now. Just then, his cell door flies open as aggressively as he had been thrown into prison. Barabbas is now being dragged out. He struggles in vain against the strong grip of the guards as they drag him down the cold stone corridor and another door flies open and Barabbas is pushed through. And now he's opening his eyes and, and struggling to adjust to the light. He braces himself for the worst. But what he experiences next shocks him. As the guards unshackle him, cheers of Barabbas, 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 rise up from the crowd. People close in on him with gleeful smiles, a hundred hands patting him on the shoulders and celebrating his freedom. Could it be, he wonders, has the Rome I despise chosen to set me free? Just then, he catches his first glimpse of Jesus. Wait, wait, is that the one they call the king of the Jews? Barabbas had heard of this strange teacher and miracle worker. He watches as the guards that had freed him turn their aggression towards Jesus. Barabbas quickly begins to, to put the pieces together. He, he knew of the festival tradition. Every year, a prisoner would be set free to pacify the Jews. And with each blow and each crack of the whip, Jesus's flesh begins to tear apart. 
His screams of agony drowned out in the chants of, of crucify, crucify, crucify. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus through Barabbas' eyes? In that moment, he begins to realize that his freedom has been bargained on the back of a better man. How could they let me go to crucify him? He mutters in shock. How could they set me free to condemn an innocent man? How did this happen? What now? As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. The centurion. He was highly regarded in the Roman world. He'd reached the highest rank a soldier could attain commanding a battalion of over a hundred men. But with that respect, came the responsibility of conducting executions, a task he and his men willingly carried out. The centurion could hardly have been untested. It's likely that he had been in this spot dozens of times, but clearly this was different. Look through the centurion's eyes, seasoned and unflinching. As the grim events of the day unfold, the sun disappears. For three hours, darkness covers the land. It's as if the whole sky is groaning over the tragedy taking place right before him. Even the earth itself cries out with Jesus. The centurion can feel the ground quaking beneath his feet. A toxic storm of insults rage around the cross as people taunt and sneer at Jesus. But the centurion stands silent as he watches the life drain from Jesus' body. He can hear Jesus speaking as if God were right next to him. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The centurion can't keep truth from welling up in his heart. 
Surely he was the son of God. But with that realization comes terror and dread. What have we done to this man? What have I done? His blood is on my hands. What now? 2,000 Good Fridays have passed since that day. And yet Good Friday continues to call us out of the shadows and into the story of Jesus. Like the servant girl, I've watched from the fringe, confused by the absurdity of God dying for me. Like Barabbas, I'm shocked by the lofty price of my freedom. And like the centurion, I'm terrified by the fact that Jesus' blood is on my hands. I am the servant girl. I am Barabbas. I am the centurion. You are the servant girl. You are Barabbas. You are the centurion. We are the servant girl. We are Barabbas. We are the centurion. What now? In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our questions, God is not far away. He sees us, he knows us, he understands. Jesus entered into our human experience. He suffered with us, he suffered for us. Tonight we remember his sacrifice as we receive the bread that reminds us of his broken body. And together we receive the cup that represents his shed blood. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come to you on this Good Friday and we recognize the incredible pain and suffering you endured when you went to the cross. Lord, we can't help but look at ourselves and recognize how we contributed to that, our, our sin, how we fall short, contributed to you facing that ugly death on a cross. But at the same time, Lord, we, we can't help but look to the hope of Easter, of the resurrection. But in this moment right now, we are sorrowful. We are incredibly grateful for just the incredible, unconditional love that you displayed on the cross that night. We pray this in your name. Amen.